0: Incumbency has its privileges. Sometimes incumbent presidents are generally pretty safe from a primary challenge, but not always. We'll explain why one metric is the one to watch in 2020. Then, how many pets make America woof again? I figured we'd give that one a try. Different numbers make for something to chew on. I'm not going to do any more of those. Karin Brouillard from the Washington Post Animalia blog is here, so let's get to it. And hi, everybody. Welcome to Poll Hub. I'm J.D. Dapper, Director of Innovation here at the Marist Poll.
1: And I'm Barbara Carvalho, Director of the Marist Poll. And I'm Lee Merigoff, Director of the Marist College Institute for
0: Public Opinion. So there are presidents who have been challenged by people in their own party. Jimmy Carter was one that we think about, the Ted Kennedy, Jimmy Carter thing, very Mm -hmm. famous in 1980. Mm -hmm. But there have been others, uh, and there is talk Now that Bill Weld, former governor of uh, neighboring Massachusetts here, we're in uh, the mid-Hudson Valley of New York State, is uh, joining the the, uh, Republican fray to take on Donald Trump, there's talk that there might be more. Uh, how realistic is that, and is there a way to gauge uh, historically mm-hmm. whether this is something that could hurt Donald Trump or whether this is just a historical anomaly? Yeah.
2: History's not on the side of those who want to you know, take on the incumbent of their own party. Of course, in the old days of politics with the party bosses and the conventions being fairly set in advance, um, you know. The,
0: the, that that you, just you, never happened. You yeah. didn't do it.
2: But in 1968 we saw of course with the uh, Gene McCarthy and then the Robert Kennedy uh, challenges uh, to Lyndon Johnson and then we've seen it periodically as, as you as you identify um, and so we want to like, take a look at well, what does it make for success here? What do, what do you need to have? And one of the things you want to have is you want to take on the president who has a low approval rating with his own, within his own party. So there becomes the opportunity.
0: So not just a low opinion rating. You no. can't just have a president that's not popular. He's got to be popular with his own party because you can't win the primaries unless you're talking to your party's voters.
2: Exactly. And if you have a president who's you know within his own party at 50-60%, well then there's stuff on the table that you can gobble up if you're going to challenge. And we have seen interesting ones. So in you know, the 70, 76 election, Reagan does really well against non-elected incumbent Gerald Ford, uh, and he takes it down to the convention and then becomes the nominee four years later. Ted Kennedy, not so much against Jimmy Carter, even though Carter's approval rating was 48. Um, the candidates in 68 didn't do well. Uh, Pat Buchanan ran against a fairly popular George Bush, but you know, did well in New Hampshire, but then fizzled after that. And that brings us up to the current stage now with with Donald Trump and what's going to happen. And what I think is very interesting is his approval rating among Republicans is 89%. So if you're thinking of challenging this guy who spent all his capital politically on his base... That's the folks you're gonna to have to chip away at. And that's really a tall order.
1: Well, I think also what uh you know what these examples also point to is the fact that each of these challengers, although Reagan goes on, you know, to get the nomination four years later, um, each of these challengers don't do such a great job of getting the nomination uh, at the time nope. either. None of them, and, none uh, of them. Did. And the and also the incumbents that they that they challenge. End up losing uh, in the general election as well.
2: So, if you have 50% or thereabouts within your own party, it suggests weakness clearly, perhaps among independents, certainly with the opposing party, and, you, and that's where you run into trouble. Electorally, and this is something that,
1: that uh, President Trump right now is certainly not. Dealing with, he is very popular among Republicans, as you mentioned, with his 89% approval rating among Republicans. And even when we took a look in our in uh, one of our polls recently. at uh, recently, we didn't we didn't measure uh, Weld because I don't think uh, he was on the radar at the time. But we did measure uh, Kasich and uh, Romney among Republicans, and they were not particularly popular, uh, particularly up against uh, Trump. Among Republicans, so, so
0: this approval rating within the party, though, that's the metric to watch because, as we sit here right now, nothing's happened to uh, to move that number for Donald Trump. But we also haven't heard anything from the special counsel, no. uh, and there is news every day about all kinds of things that could change the president's standing with his party. Nothing to date has, but that's the metric. I think what we are identifying here is the metric to watch. To give you an idea of whether he would be challenged, yeah. And if you don't want to follow our
2: polls, just look at the Republican senators and where they start criticizing
0: President Trump. Well, because that's when they But do, that's already that's, that's already happened on the national emergency. But we haven't seen the, much of a move away from him on on on, yeah. on, on the base yet. Yeah. No, so for sure. we'll see. We'll see. But I think that's an interesting metric to watch. What 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 is clear though is that this has nothing to do. With the what the other party uh, will do, so yeah, Donald Trump has an incredibly high popularity rating within approval rating within okay. his own party. He's got an incredibly low one with the other party, and that creates opportunity. Mm-hmm. That it seems like a handful of people are willing to.
1: To try and take advantage of handful, handful, very big handful. handfuls. No, we <laughs> have gorilla hands. we have lots of lo- lots of uh, Democrats, and I think every Democrat that probably has an interest in ever being president um, has uh, has either entered entered the fray.
2: It covers the ages from 37 years old to I think 78 or 79. So we're covering all generations of of eligible uh, Democrats right now.
1: So um, I think that also if we take a look, I mean, the... the, the- the leaders uh, in the Democratic primary are those with the biggest name recognition: um, former Vice President uh, Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, who ran last time, um, and then we look at also other popular Democrats: uh, Kamala Harris, uh, Elizabeth Warren, Cory Booker. They've all been uh, had, a, had a moment on the on the national stage, so it makes sense that um, so that they are also leading the pack. But if we look at some of Polling, there's also a very, very large undecided mm-hmm. among Democratic voters, and I think there's certainly going to be a long, long road to the to the nomination uh, this time around. And, and
2: as we've said, uh, you know, throughout the year, and we'll say. as we get even closer to the primaries, the early uh, toss-up numbers for a Democratic field or any field at this point are very, very bad predictors of who's going to go in. But I think the question is, what happens if Joe Biden doesn't get in? What's going to happen to the Democrats on this? And I think that's something that I would say categorically I just don't know.
1: Switching gears here a little bit, uh, if you've ever, you know, frequented any large city or large suburb, in, you know, midday or early evening, you may be struck by the number of four-legged inhabitants that are out kind of strutting their stuff. Uh, but you ha- have you ever wondered how many people own a pet? Well, we've got Karin Bouliard, reporter and editor for the Washington Post's Animalia blog, joining us today. Hi, Karen. Hi, how are you? Thanks so much. Um, you know, before we get into the numbers of pet owners and pets, I do want to know. As an animal lover, I really want to know. How do you get a gig like this? The Animalia <laughs> blog—that is just so awesome. <laughs>
3: um, yeah, people ask me that question a lot, and I, I feel like I, sh- I need to be very quiet about it because you know, or my bosses will take it away from me. Um, I, I proposed the idea. I, you know, it it was a process, but I I pitched it, said that we could write intelligently about something that people care a lot about, and shockingly, my editors went for it.
1: So why is it necessary or important for us to know how many pets there are?
3: Well, uh, it's probably not important for me or for you. Um, Well, it might be a little bit more for me because I write about animals, but for most people it's not really important. Um, depending on who you ask though, it's it's important in a lot of places. It's certainly important to the American, the pet products industry, um, which is one that I think anyone can see or guess is expanding exponentially I mean it's just sort of booming and all sorts of pet services and pet products from expensive pet foods to mobile grooming trucks that kind of thing Um, so it's important to them to know how many pets there are it's important veterinarians to know how many pets there are how many patients they might have coming through their doors or what kinds of patients they might have coming through their doors you know maybe fewer cats than there used to be but maybe more backyard chickens um, and then, you know, there are some researchers who would say that it's important for, to know for epidemiological studies, for example, um, if you want to know accurate things about rabies, the occurrence of rabies, or, or other uh, veterinary or uh, zoonotic, you know, diseases, it's important to know sort of your baseline.
1: Well, at the Poll Hub here, we are all pet lovers. Uh, two of the three of us uh, have a pet. I actually have four dogs and three uh, it, horses. Well, yeah, but uh, they don't live at home. <laughs> many many people think of horses, unfortunately, as livestock, even though I do think of them um, as as pets as well. Um, but how, the the number of pets and the number of households who actually own a pet. Um, has been disputed. In other words, there are a lot of different measures uh, that are bandied about and if you do you know go to Google or some search engine, you're likely to find different numbers of how many pets there are actually in the United States um, how does how does that come about?
3: Well, if you were to Google how many pets, are there in the United States, you almost certainly the first hit you would get or one of the first ones would be from what's called the American Pet Products Association. Uh, This is an uh, an industry group that does a survey every two years um, of not just sort of the numbers of pets people have and how many they have, but also all and probably most important to this organization, how much they're spending on their pets and what kinds of things they're purchasing for their pets. So that's the one you're gonna see most often. And and that source has sort of pretty consistently shown the numbers rising, um, rising quite quickly over recent years. Um, Another source that would come up quickly is the American Veterinary Medical Association. That's the association of um, all the veterinarians in the United States. They do a survey every five years, so not as often. And their numbers, and the reason I uh, wrote about this recently is because they came out with their study in um, at the end of last year. And the numbers they put out were pretty different from the Pet Products Association. They showed a lower percentage of households with pets. They showed a declining number of cats in the United States. And I was sort of interested in why that might be, why would there be dropping numbers of cats, but also why is there that difference between these two sort of you know, often cited sources.
2: What what kind of reaction did you get to this particular article and also to your blog generally when you put things out? You know, what kind of do you get the uh, the pet owners, pet lovers chiming in or do you get the what, what am I supposed to do with the barking dog <laughs> next door kind of reaction?
3: Well, let's see. So, to this article, I don't know that I got a lot of response. This one sort of falls a bit into the um, wonky, uh, n- nerdy category of you know you're very deep dive yes, on pet statistics.
0: This is why you're on. Yep. Call, uh, yeah. So you guys called me.
3: <laughs> you guys called me, but I'm not sure that the average person was you know. But in any case, I was interested, and my colleague Scott Clement, who's our director of polling, was interested, so we did it anyway. I, I guess if I were to say generally, I get quite a bit of reader response, but I don't just write about pets, I write about anything that I, I guess falls in the category of where, I, where humans and animals intersect, so obviously that includes pets, I also write about wildlife, um, I write about some science, um, some you know research on animals. Um, and so I don't write so much about, you know, advice on pet, like the, what do you do about a barking, barking dog? I, I figured that um, as much. But, uh, yeah, people are interested in pets. People, you know, what's clear from this research is that we, no matter how you slice it, we've got a lot of animals. We like our animals. We spend a lot of money on them. And so people care about him.
0: So when you did this and you mentioned that Scott Clement is is also in the uh, the article and uh, he's uh, works in the polling unit there at the post. So a lot of the answers I think what uh, what we saw in the article was a lot of the answers that we get to questions about polls he he gets into your article there which is why the different results, the different well, different methodologies, different ways the polls are done, these kinds of things but in the numbers what struck me is that there's a pretty high range from the census number which is about 50% of american households 49% have pets to the top end which is 68%. That's a, a big range. Is there anything that you were able to find out when you were, you know, researching this and talking to any of the the people who are in the field on this to get a sense of whether it really is 50 or 70 because is it one in two, or is it one? In, is it is it three and four? Practically mm-hmm. three and four. It just seems like a really big difference.
3: Well, I mean, and that that is why we wrote about this. We we wanted to understand why are the where you know where these big distances are coming from and what might be the most accurate. So here I'm going to sort of channel Scott a bit as well as experts mm-hmm. <laughs> we talk to you because I am not a bowling expert. Um, but the sort of uh, basic answer you know, is is that both the the Pet Products Association and the Veterinary Medical Association use um, opt-in online polls, uh, surveys. And so this is, you know, they're... they're, The the people who are taking these surveys are self-selecting, right? They're choosing Mm -hmm. to take it. Um, It's not a random sample. So you're starting off with a group of people who are uh, probably more likely to be pet owners. Both organizations uh, say they make an effort to, you know, adjust afterward to control for, you know, to make to make their sample a representative of US. Yeah, we
0: call it waiting. Yeah, we wait Um, the sample.
3: yeah, so you know about that. waiting. Okay, so I'm talking to people who know this, yeah. but anyway, probably people who listen to your podcast know much more than I do. That, that's fine. Um, but okay. anyway, um, okay. but but what we were, you know, what we tried to explain here is that even when you do that, according to a lot of you know polling experts, you're still sort of starting out with with a sample that's biased from the outset. Um, the uh, the lower range and and pretty consistent. Um, were based on, on randomized samples. I mean, the 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 one that's based on census data is not only a huge sample, but it's done in person and they do follow-up interviews. Um, so, uh, you know, I think the conclusion we came away with is that by no means can we say that the pet products industry is, uh, you know, fiddling with the numbers to make it look like there are more pets than, you know, I, we're, I'm not gonna come out and say that, but. You're right. I mean, this is an organization that um, that obviously wants there to be more pets. Uh, the Ho- American Housing Survey, which started asking a question about pets in 2013, did so only as part of a um, uh, sort of questions about people's preparedness for disasters, what kind of you know evacuation you know procedures they might have in place, and so part of that was asking about pets and. Probably this comes out of what we know happened after Hurricane Katrina is that there was some pretty good research that showed a lot of people stayed behind because they didn't want to leave their animals.
1: And also, um, Jay's dog, Orange, is a Katrina pup. Well, there you go. Having uh, moved up to New York State So after one, of the, the disaster. One, of
0: the, one quick other thing that I noticed... Well, we've gone,
3: we're have we full circle yeah, here.
0: One other quick thing that I noticed is that the, the three samples from the industry, they asked about dogs and cats. The census, very smartly... They just asked about pets. They didn't get on that 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 divide there. Who's got more dogs? Who's got more pe- who has more cats? They stayed out of that one. Seems smart.
3: Right, right, right. Although the, the pet products industry and the veterinary one, if you look at their actual surveys, I mean they're they're the size of telephone books, and they get they go way deep into what kind of pets people have. You know.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here and and say that um, that you're probably less likely to have more than seven. Animals under your roof, uh, if I include your barn, Barb, you're going four oh. plus three. Uh, is, is Barb the winner here in terms of pets?
1: Certainly, in terms of, of, uh, of weight. I have one cat, so I'm not going to win this one. (laughs) But just to also mention that um, when we're looking at the opt-in surveys, the purpose of the survey, I think, is different. And you made a really good point, Karin, in the sense that the goal of the U.S. Census Survey is very different than the pet products and the veterinary survey. Um, In in other words, if you have an opt-in online panel you actually want to be talking to pet owners so that you can find out about you know their experiences their interests and their opinions it's when those surveys are then used to generalize to the to the larger population and try to quantify something like pet ownership that i think they probably get into a little bit of trouble
3: right and that's what a few people we spoke to said they said look for these organizations the actual Population figures probably aren't even that important. What they want to know mostly is about how much people are spending and what they're buying, Um, and and they may get perfectly useful data out of this kind of survey, you know.
0: Karen Brulyard reporter and editor at the, really the job. I should just say it. She's got the job at The Post that we all want. She is the author of the Animalia blog at The Post. And uh, she knows a lot about polls now, it turns out, thanks to this article and marrying around a Poll Hub. Thank you so much for coming on, Karn.
1: All right. Thanks for having me. That will do it for this edition of Poll Hub. Poll Hub is a production of the Marist Poll at Marist College in Poughkeepsie, New York. Thank you, Mary Griffith, our executive producer, and thank you, Kenny Marvels, for cleaning us up, our, our editor.
2: Yes, he will be working overtime on this one, so we'd also like to thank, as we do each week, the Roper Center Archives at Cornell, who provide us with lots of data all the time about survey questions and results historically, so we can do trend when we need to.
0: And send your questions to us. The best way to do it is on social media um, at uh, MaristPoll on Facebook and on Twitter. Also, uh, we'll link in the show notes to uh, the the information for Karen. if you want to start following the Animalia blog and uh, send her pet questions. Oh, boy, she's going to regret we just told them to do that. Uh, and uh, we'll see you back here next time. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe.